Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. From stings to shocks to bites, we talk about wonderfully small things that pack quite a punch. Now, white-tailed spiders have been getting a lot of flack in the Australian media recently and worldwide, but they're not as dangerous as you might think. Plus, a tiny fish that packs a big punch to take down much larger prey. And how even tiny plankton have their own specialised weaponry. When it comes to deadly species, us Australians like to talk a tough game. We claim to have a land filled with venomous creatures that will do you harm at whatever opportunity arises. You open a door. Spider's there to get you. Go into the water. A shark's there to get you. Go into a river. A crocodile will get you. Go to sleep. Well, you've got to watch out for those other spiders that might be lurking near your pillow. And we talk a tough game a bit to scare visitors and a bit a part of national pride. And there are a lot of very dangerous and deadly creatures in Australia. Everything from, obviously, the very, very dangerous box jellyfish and the irigangi, a very, very small but deadly jellyfish, to those that are more obvious and large, like the saltwater crocodiles, bull sharks, and brown snakes. And then you have the unexpected ones, like even the most common and simple honeybee, which, due to people's allergies, can actually be quite a devastating little creature. But spiders sort of occupy a place of fear in many people's hearts, and because of that, Australia also has a lot of deadly spiders, such as the redback or the funnelweb spider, uh, it builds up this very, very dangerous impression. And recently there's been a news story about a very sad incident where a man has had to go undergo an amputation uh, to counter the spread of a flesh-eating bacteria, necrosis, across his, his body. And this has been linked back to white-tailed spiders. And a claim that white-tailed spiders are somehow so deadly and devastating because they can carry and transmit flesh-eating bacteria. And whilst this sounds good, plays very, very well in the media, and also gives great pictures. A tourist in Australia, bitten by a spider, and the next thing you never know what happens next, he has to have amputation as flesh-eating bacteria spreads across his body. It's the perfect kind of urban myths type story. And unfortunately, like most urban myths, the actual tragic event that is at the core here is not actually really directly likely to be caused by a white-tailed spider. The actual real culprit here is probably something very, very different. And there's a few reasons why this is the case. Now, the tricky part about this misattribution is that actually understanding what was the initial cause of the injury that he was sustaining, this flesh-eating necrosis across his flesh, was very difficult to pinpoint back. The try as they might, the victim himself and his family seemed to believe that maybe it was caused from a white-tail spider bite. And the doctors and the medical institutions worked on this assumption. Um, for example, this was what was reported initially by Fairfax Media and then following up in Talkback Radio and a few other experts. But afterwards, doctors at Woomera Base Hospital in Horsham, as well as Alfred Hospital, and toxicologists have been weighing in, saying that, well, white-tailed spiders can do a lot of things, but uh, flesh-eating bacteria is probably not one of them. And the reason for this is that it's quite a common sort of complaint that gets thrown about, but actually, unfortunately, the scientific data is not there to back it up. So, for example, uh, scientists which was a, undertook a cohort study in August 2003 where they examined 130 cases of white-tailed spider bites. And white-tailed spider bites can be pretty bad. 
They can uh, give you a little a localized swelling, a little bit of rash, some headaches, pain, obviously. Um, but what they found in these 130 cases between 1999 and 2002, that none of them had resulted in necrotic lesions. Basically, yes, there was pain, but nothing saw like this decay of flesh that we associate or call flesh-eating type, type of illness. And since there were no necrotic ulcers and in this large cohort of studies, and also in follow-up studies later done, which were more recent, the scientists are pretty confident that white-tailed spiders themselves are relatively harmless. In fact, most university ranking systems, including the University of Adelaide's Clinical Toxinology Resource, ranks the dangerousness index of the white-tailed spider is pretty much low. Uh, nothing really to be worried about. So in Australian terms, you, you, she'll be right, mate. However, this concept that white-tailed spiders are somehow connected to flesh-eating bacteria still continues to persist. So maybe there's speculation that maybe the spider introduced the bacteria. And that seems very unlikely for the spider to be carrying that. Now, how could have this type of uh, flesh-eating necrotic lesions and ulcers occur? Well, researchers are speculating that, well, while the spider bite may have been something that definitely probably happened, um, anytime you have a piercing of the skin or a cut or any type of open wound or sore, it's very possible for bacteria to seep in. And if you're exposed to a bacteria that is carrying this necrosis, then that can get into your system and spread. And this could be completely unrelated to the spider or unrelated to the time at which the spider bite occurred. You could be bitten by a spider at one point in time and then only have the cut to be a little bit there, exposed for a little bit of time, maybe an hour or two even, and then later on be exposed to something else, which sort of gives you that bacterial infection. And that's the tricky part. Because at its heart, we're talking about a bacterial infection, which is not really the case for a spider bite. Some animals do have deadly venom, and venom that can introduce bacterial pathogens like this, but not white-tailed spiders. Now, for example, things that have deadly venoms, not bacteria infections, but deadly actual venoms, toxins, um, such as the redback spider and the funnel web spider, they are very, very dangerous and deadly. But we have, in our hospitals available, anti-venom for both of these spiders. So the treatment pathway is pretty clear there. So, if you see a white-tailed spider in Australia, remember to keep calm, because it is a dangerous spider, but it's pretty low on the dangerousness index, and it's not going to give you flesh-eating bacteria. But, if you have any type of exposed wound or injury, it's important to actually make sure you do clean that wound, and keep it away from any potential sources of infection, because infection is a serious issue, separate to spider bites. So sticking to the theme of Australian things that have dangerous bites, we're going to talk about the blenny fish. Now the blenny fish is a beautiful coloured, but it usually has one stripe or two, bicoloured potentially, little fish, where they might have a body segment of a dark black and a lighter yellowy segment on a tail, or something similar where they have a, a stripe through them. And they love to live around rocks, and they're pretty much one of your typical bottom feeder coral or rock pool type fish. And for those reasons, they're quite common in uh, aquariums and so on. But these little tiny fish pack a very large bite. They have two large canine teeth that jut out of their lower jaw. And overall, they're, they're only about five centimeters long. So they stand out quite a lot. 
But the thing is, these small and very tiny little fish are preyed on by giant fish that lurk on the bottoms of our seabeds, such as the groper fish. And the little blennies, they needed to come up with some kind of defense against these much larger, much more intimidating fish like the groper. And to do that, they've actually developed a little bit of a venom. But the venom that they actually inject is a lot more interesting than just a toxin or a poison. Researchers from the University of Queensland have localized and isolated the venom of this little blenny fish and found that its venom causes a rapid drop in blood pressure all of a sudden and it actually injects a bit of an opioid into the bloodstream of the attacker. It's a lot of very interesting science going on here and it's also very difficult to undertake. Now, these little blenny fish, when they bite their prey, they inject a very, very small amount of venom, which makes sense because they themselves are only a very, very small fish. And extracting the venom was quite a task in and of itself because, you know, when you have a snake, you can sort of put it over the jar and get it to bite through something and capture the venom that way. But with a fish, whoa, everything just gets a lot more difficult. So the way in which they actually got the venom out of the fish was quite entertaining. They picked out the fish out of the tank, dangled a cotton swab in front of them, waited for them to bite the cotton swab, and then put them safely back in the water so the fish obviously wouldn't die. And that was the only way that they could figure out how to actually get any of the chemical venom to analyze. Once they did analyze the venom, then obviously, of course, it was a much more interesting process. So when you compare the poor blenny fish to other fish that also produce venom as a defense mechanism, things like a lionfish or that, they have large dorsal spines with venom on them, uh, and they just cause immediate blinding pain. It's basically a don't touch me anymore kind of response. And like, say, like a, a stingray or a, or a lionfish or a stonefish or a pufferfish, they just have that really sharp pain venom. But a, a f the venom from a blenny fish is actually very, very different. What they found was a lot of neuropeptides and opioid components, and what that means is it causes a real drop in blood pressure, leaving the attacker disoriented and really not able to chase after you um, because it basically produces nausea, dizziness, and lethargy in, in the victim of the venom. And that's really quite interesting. So it's a whole different style of response or strategy for the venom. And it's actually a very, very difficult venom to produce, which the scientists found very interesting because it seems that the fish actually evolved the venom after they evolved these large defensive teeth to bite with. Since the venom is so well understood by the prey around them, other fish have started to take advantage of this and coloured themselves to match the, the designs of the blenny fish, even though they don't have venom delivering capabilities. That way, predators stink twice before chowing down on them, thinking they might be in store for a bit of a blenny shock. So even something so small and innocuous as a tiny, cute little fish in Australia can be carrying quite a punch. But in this time, not a lot of pain, just something to make you chill out and make it hard for you to chase after them. Now, when you think about plankton, they're often overlooked in the ocean. Now, we know that they're essential for the life of whales and other krill feeders. But otherwise, you tend not to think about plankton. These things, these microbes, that just live in the ocean, travel around, and act as a food source for many other creatures. And they're overlooked, probably unfairly, but they are very, very small. But just because they're very, very small and 
quite simple in their designs doesn't mean that they don't have some pretty incredible defense mechanisms. Researchers from the University of British Columbia, UBC, led by biologist Gregory Gavellis, have been looking into how these little planktonic microbes actually defend themselves from predators. Because if everything's trying to eat them and they're at the bottom of the food chain, well, they've got to at least look after themselves somehow. Now, we've known for some period of time that some planktonic microbes, like dinoflagellates, are actually predators themselves. So they hunt other non-defensive microbes and, and sort of have mechanisms to sort of hunt, capture, and consume their prey, which is quite interesting. So things like polycricosis cofodi and nematodinium are two dinoflagellates that, that actually hunt other plankton, which is cool even in and of itself to think about something at the bottom of the food chain finding even, something even smaller to eat. And we've known for some period of time that they hunt with some mechanism. We're just never, never sure what. And that's where this research, led by Gregory Gavellis and his team at UBC, have come in. They've actually captured with three-dimensional scans the microbes' interior and determined what actual mechanisms they're using. And the result is quite interesting. The polycrecus actually launch a harpoon, like hunting a whale in an old-timey movie. These polycrecus launch a harpoon-like structure out to their prey and pull it back in. And then they can tow it back to where they want to consume it. The nematodian, on the other hand, actually shoot off a ring-like structure in almost like a machine gun or Gatling gun's pattern of fire. And this spreads out to their prey. And this is, you know, incredible. Like, these are really, really complicated um, mechanisms to have in such a small creature. You have to remember, these are microbes. These are very, very small organisms. And to have developed such a complicated hunting or mechanism or structure inside their body is incredible. Now, this is actually pretty similar to some of the stinging organelles that you find in a jellyfish, but it's not actually linked. They analyzed the DNA and found them actually to be quite different. Even though they have the same type of function, they're actually very, very different. So it looks like it's a case of convergent evolution, where they both sort of approximated the same good solution, starting at very different starting points. Now, now that we know that using like ballistic mechanisms to hunt their prey, either a harpoon or a big Gatling gun, machine gun type firing, it's causing researchers to take out a second look at what we once thought was quite boring, little plankton swimming in the ocean. They're in fact hunting with their own crazy weaponry of their very own. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. From the cute plenty fish's opioid defence mechanism and the hunting mechanisms of plankton to the misplaced fears of whitetail spiders. We talked about a lot of different things, packing quite a punch this week. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.